know, Elvis Presley firm, firmly believed that you were either a, a virgin or a whore. Which is such And that was his undoing to a degree. You know, Priscilla was a virgin. Yeah. Then he fucked her. And, well, I don't want that dirty-ass pussy. Yeah. So I'm going to go find me some more virgins. Yeah. And then dirty up those pussies. and nothing to do with them. But I digress dirty from up. Elvis's filthy cock. Dirty beautiful, up those Beautiful, beautiful pompadour filthy cock. This is Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. These apes are not emotional support animals, and they fling verbal poo. Listen with caution. I don't feel comfortable in a small town. I get a bit tense, mainly because I'm in this situation. And in a small town, that's all right from a distance. People are like, oh, good bloke. I love being mistaken for a man. I, lo- I wouldn't want to be a straight white man. Not if you paid me. Although the pay would be substantially better. <laughs> I do think I have to quit comedy, though. And it's probably not the forum to make such an announcement, is it? <laughs> I have built a career out of self-deprecating humour and I simply will not do that anymore, not to myself or anybody who identifies with me. Do you understand what self-deprecation means? It's not humility, it's humiliation. I want my story heard because what I would have done to have heard a story like mine talk about Nanette and today we are uh, joined by our producer. Producer Dana's here. Dana German is here and uh, we have all three spent a little time watching Nanette and I've probably spent the most time reading the billions of think pieces on it and uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this comedy special that uh, has really it's very interesting in terms of sort of the reaction to it. It's super popular. The first thing is, you know, she makes this announcement that she needs to quit comedy. And I don't know if, if she actually means that, if she's going to quit comedy. I hope she doesn't, because I think she's really funny, and I think she's really smart. And even if the things she's saying aren't hilarious, you know, quote-unquote jokes with a setup and a punchline, they're insightful, you know, chuckling, ch- chuckle-worthy observations. And I'd hate to see her go away because even though she's been a big deal, you know, below the on the southern hemisphere, this is like her first real big international audience. Um, the first time the international audience has really seen her, mm-hmm. and I'd hate to lose her so quickly because I, I think she's great. Well, so I hope she the... doesn't really mean that, that she is actually retiring from comedy. I don't. I don't think she is. I think what this. Um, she's given herself permission to do on many levels with this particular this special um is she's introduced herself to that international audience like you've said and uh release the pressure valve of then being associated with comedy exclusively 
and she frees herself to do all sorts of things. Like I, I, I would say there are a whole lot of entertainers who find that they've done their best work behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. on the other side of the camera mm-hmm. and the like. She Jordan Peele is a perfect example. Of that. Yeah. End up writing, yeah, right. yeah, for any number of working with any number of people and and just starting a new part of her career that doesn't have to be so comedy centric. She's associated comedy over the years with this self-deprecation that she talks about Mm -hmm. and this humiliation that she, you know, essentially reinforced this box that, um, for herself that that she she didn't want to be in anymore. You're a comedian that tells jokes and, and she's saying, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to be in this box of joke teller anymore that she can do more, which is, and of course we're assuming that they were putting words in her mouth, maybe just a little bit. I hope but that not. Was, that, I think that's our takeaway from it. I think that's a healthy takeaway. Yeah, well, um, she, she knew for a fact that she was doing this. It's kind of a bait and switch. Um, sure. And in her uh, interview in Rolling Stone called Nanette Hannah Gadsby on her game-changing stand-up special, this is, uh, this, she says, I was quite exhausted of this generating new material year after year after year. But I knew that the show I, that I was looking to write would be dismissed critically as just being a one-woman show because I've seen it happen before. And then I thought, well, that's a bad idea to just jump down on it like that. I mean, nobody ever accuses men of just doing one-man shows. They just do them. And so she knew what she was doing. She was creating. And really, when you look at the construct, and that's, I guess that's the first thing that I'd love to talk about is... Not sort of the social implications right away, but just the actual the, the craft actual, of the, the craft of the show, yeah. You know, because one of the things um, is that I, I mean, you know, just in terms of it, because I watched it three times now. And the first time I watched it, I loved it. I was blown away by it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was funny. I, you know, it did actually make me cry. I a can bit. agree that it's a it's a very well crafted yeah. show. That doesn't interest me as much as the subject matter within it. You've yeah. got it's so rich with dynamic subject matter you have the art and art history you have power money the obsession with reputation humanity value versus victimhood like i've just got a list in front of me of all these things that she talked about um that's really the meme that's an interesting point that she made in that rolling stone interview where she talks about a you never say that a man just did a, a one-man show. Like it's just. Well, Patton just, Oswalt did did a stand-up special on Netflix that Dana and I are in the front row. We look at yeah. the video right in the front row, laughing our ass off. But that is, in its own way, very similar in terms of its. We're gonna do some stand-up at the top, and then in the back end, we're gonna talk about the pain of losing his wife, mm-hmm. and he does it in a funny way. But it's it's really sort of, and so it's. But nobody nobody went. God, where are the jokes, Patton? Right. Well, you, it's and that's, and that's, that's very interesting that you mention that, too, because I, are audiences coached in some way? I mean, I think they know what the, what's expected of them, and there's, uh, you know, the, the tension that's there on its own to, like, I know I'm on camera, or I will be in some fashion, I know this is being taped, like... Do things feel stiff at the top? Because I felt like at that Patton special, too, it's like... All these people are laughing really hard at jokes that aren't necessarily that funny yet. It's like, guys, you're not that warmed up. But then again, well, I think, yeah, I mean, whatever. People, when, they, when you that's, go to a, that's, I think that's a headlining that's show like that that's being taped, I mean, that's you're paying to see that person. You probably yeah. really like that person. It's not like they're just getting up at Zanies for ten minutes. Sure. You know, like yeah, you're, you're already a fan. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. There's a good chance that 99.8% of the people in these audiences yeah. are fans are and they want to laugh. So yeah. if they want to laugh at that person, they're going to laugh at them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think Laughter's that, infectious anyway. That, as, as I'm watching, and I loved it. I loved the special. I yeah. thought, it, like you said, I thought it was funny. I thought it was insightful. Um, I didn't think that it was like a, a weird hard break or a hard turn or anything like that when she got really heavy at See, the very I actually end. did. I just I, felt like this is where the show naturally went, and I'm I'm okay with the that. The director's eye on me, and it's just that 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 was the thing. The only thing that I thought was kind of unnecessary about it, and this is just uh, from watching it three times and kind of looking at it, sort of structurally, is I think. And, and this is just my opinion is uh, is I think the last like ten to twelve minutes isn't entirely necessary because everything she says in that twelve minutes she's already said better in the special, you right. know, and 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 just by the reveal. I mean, and she uh, just she took the jokes out. Yeah, of this it, is and she got real serious. If you haven't yeah. watched it, fucking watch it, you jackass. But essentially, the construct is I'm going to do some stand up at the top. And I'm going to do some jokes. And then I'm going to stop in the middle and I'm going to say, I don't want to do stand-up anymore. And we heard in the, in the trailer, you know, it is, is that self-deprecating humor is not, when you're already marginalized, it's humiliation, not humbleness. Mm -hmm. It's not self-deprecation anymore. And then she talks about how she's not going to do comedy. And then she spends a good chunk of the rest of the time deconstructing and providing context for the jokes that she told. So she basically takes the jokes that she's told and now says, here's what was happening behind the scenes without the punchline so that you understand you laughed at this, yeah. but there was more to it and you don't understand the whole story, so let me tell my whole story. And then she ends with, like the one of the very first anecdotes is a story about her being mis mistaken for a man and hitting on a woman, and the boyfriend comes over and is very angry, and then realizes she's. Oh, sorry, angry. I thought you were a fan. Well, and that's hey, a funny joke. Spoiler alert, guys. Well, like I said, but then yeah. at the end of it, she reveals that 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 encounter resulted in a, a brutal, horrifying beating. She gets a bad stomping. You know, and and you know, and I and just for me, my opinion is once she makes that reveal, the show's over. That that that's that's the most powerful thing she can say, and it says everything she needed to say, but then she felt like she needed in that last twelve minutes to just kind of venture. Well, this is—I'll quote that. her. This is theater, fellas. Yeah. Um, she she didn't feel like you needed the whole story. She has, she said more than once, "I need to tell my story properly." Mm -hmm. Uh and I think she did it one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, every, I think every comedian gets to a point where they, they need to change the kind of jokes they're doing the way they do it because their life has changed, their situation has changed, they're, they've gotten better at their craft, they found a new way to present that craft. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I mean, I like that she said, um, she says, do you know why, and I'm paraphrasing, but do you know why you were laughing at, at these jokes? Because I'm really fucking good at my job. Mm -hmm. I'm good at creating tension, and I'm really good at releasing the tension. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I watched the Chris Rock special too, um, because Chris Rock, his, his latest special, which I don't... It, oh my God, he's it, so great, but don't deviate too much. Well, no, but here's the thing. Is that <laughs> there, was, there was talk about Chris, the Chris Rock special, where he talks about real personal stuff. He talks about being addicted to porn, and for some reason that's like the thing that mm. the, the write-ups have focused yeah, on, yeah. which was like a real drop in the bucket, from, in my opinion, from the show. The real heavy thing, I think is he's which is the porn is part of this, 
but he's talking about his divorce and relationships, and it's and he's got jokes throughout, but it does get a lot heavier. It's very, very personal. And yeah. he's really personal about it. He's admitting fault. He's like, I was a bad husband, and hmm. that shit gets heavy. Yeah. Um. So I don't. I but don't nobody, think that, But nobody goes. Oh, Chris, Chris Rock's changing jokes. And, yeah. Well, where are the jokes, and why is it a one-man show? I mean, the, 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 I watched in, in context of this. I watched the Bill Maher live in Oklahoma because it came out almost exactly. Okay. Like, yeah, the day. Oh. Say them, I do. And the thing, watch, the thing, I have the same criticism. Uh, I have the same criticism of uh, Bill Maher, probably more uh, driving to Bill Maher and his thing than I would say with with uh, Hannah Gadsby is that. It's the same jokes. I mean, he does the same jokes. There's nothing really personal about it, but yeah. it becomes at the end of his special this this sort of political rant. Mm -hmm. And what and, and what I notice in both specials is that once they deviate and they go into "Let me just lecture you," mm -hmm. it stops being laughter, but it stops starts being cheers and applause yeah. because they're making a political stand. And I think it's a very interesting. They're heroes yeah. of free speech, to quote Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, People feel safer when men do it. And that's, well, I think that's, that's, that's totally true. That yeah. is, that's totally yeah. true. As I was watching her, the first time I watched it, because I watched it twice, I watched it once on my own, and I watched it with Katie, um, she was reminding me of like a, a loose cross between part Eddie Izzard and part George Carlin, mm -hmm. where it's not total setup, punchline, setup, punchline. There's... Um, lessons to be taught like Eddie Izzard's a lot of it you know his earlier stuff is like history lessons mm -hmm. with jokes um, or funny history lessons however you want to and put her it. art history stuff is and extraordinary art history is brilliant yeah um, I love that I, thought it was I mean her takedown of Picasso yeah is amazing uh, or, and Van Gogh like the whole yeah. Van Gogh anyway um, but Carlin toward the end he wasn't as funny as he once was he was just he became like an angry old man who was just like this is wrong and stupid and it was kind of funny because he's just he's, he's ranting Carlin and he's and George Carlin like we were talking about earlier you kind of had an expectation yeah you just expect that whatever he says is going to be funny because yeah. it's George Carlin got yeah. well also you know, too the way she is. opens up you know it's a bit clunky she's kind of like warming up the audience by laughing at her own jokes mm -hmm. and also talking about a relationship I thought it was um, interesting that she. You know, she starts with one relationship that's with between her and another person who you'll never see. Mm -hmm. You just know that they're represented by a name. Uh, and then it blossoms into the relationship with between her and her mom. Um, you don't know that she's like the youngest of five siblings. You know, I had to kind of look this up and do a little bit of research on her and be like, oh, so she's not an only child, you know, who kind of just experienced, was was immersed in this loneliness of being um, gay in Tasmania all by herself. Uh, but then she opens it up even further to like, this is the relationship that we have with patriarchy and these societal structures and, and the things that we study when we go to school, mm -hmm. i.e. art history. And now my story is your story. This is, you're the hero of my story now, all of you, because I got to share this with you mm -hmm. and now it belongs to you. You take it and what you, I've, I've found a way to tell it properly. So now you take it and it evolves. Well, and, and I agree with that. And I, like I said, because yeah. I completely agree. Now this is your story and you're the hero of the story. And that would bring more true 
if she didn't spend the last 12 minutes screaming at white men. I mean, that's what I'm... I mean, she doesn't well, I do that, though, Donnie. Well, I mean, that, she, that, that's, an ex, that's an exaggeration. I don't well, think she does that. It's to, a to, lecture. To compare it back to the, the Chris Rock thing... Is no, it's a sharing. She's personal. done being alone. She's done being alone. She but she does say something. She, she does say something about... Think and she stops. She stops herself. Well, that's, I think that's. I don't think it's. That, that's the thing is. I think the artifice Sorry, is. No, no, no. I think you're right. She does stop herself, but I don't think it's like she got carried away. You don't do a special on Netflix and, and have away. unscripted yeah. moments. Yeah, this is very. You, honey, that's that what makes you think that was unscripted. That's what I'm saying. I don't think. No, she, that's that was every, all. Every beat was was, was planned. Was she's a she's a great because you've also got a director who needs needs yeah. to know when to get yeah. the close and up. So and, you know, so again, and the whole pull your socks. Well, they've up got several and, cameras and, and, going. Yeah, the, well, the, yeah, the, but, pull, pull your socks yeah. up and and the whole like I said, the last twelve minutes. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned the pull your socks up thing because I was like, what what is that? actually that really mean other than like straighten up and fly right is that is that yeah. what that basically means well if you look at the context so. of the 10 12 minutes it's it really i mean it's again i don't think there's anything wrong with it because i thought what she had to say was correct you know her, mm -hmm. her lecture was correct it was this is what men so, well wait us. donnie there's either something wrong with it or there well, isn't uh, well i didn't say there's anything wrong with the substance i think it doesn't have a place in the special. I think she's more effective oh, without that. I think. I, I think if she's just on a talk show, interesting opinion, or she's got a thing, say what she's got to say politically, sure. and I think that's great. But I think because the I think the first forty-five minutes of this thing is almost. I think it's a masterpiece. I mm -hmm. think it's almost word for word, moment to moment, perfect. There's nothing any. I mean, like I said, yeah. I've watched it so many times now. It's like. The beats are so clean, and how she connects things thematically mm -hmm. is so well done. It's so threaded that that last 12 minutes feels like an add-on that is unnecessary. It's like an epilogue that has no place in this perfect I performance. See. Okay. And that's it's like having a it's like having a, 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 a you know it's like having this beautiful romantic you, dinner. David had a point. And at the end of the romantic dinner, having your date, uh, you know go off for about 15 minutes about SCDs. <coughs> it's just right. like, that, well, took, okay. that totally took well, off. See, yeah. I think that... So one of the things I was going to say, so there's, I got two quick points. So one of the things I was going to say, and I don't want to spend the whole time talking, you know, comparing her and, and Chris Rock's show, but again, because they came out at the same time or mm -hmm. close in time, and there is a lot of personal stuff in both, you know, talking about like yelling at, the, at white men that um, Hannah did, Chris Rock at a certain point says something like about white people. He's like, you white people here tonight are cool. Like, you're, you're the good people. I'm talking about, you know, the other... So there is that, like... Oh, no. Comedians... I'm not going to say all of them, but there is, you know, a thousand books and think pieces and, you know, the history of comedy, for fuck's sake, on CNN right now. Like, you'll, you know this, that they're all personal stories. You know, there is something that they're trying to say, some, some pain that they're trying to excise through humor. And I don't care if, you know, if, if Hannah Gadsby's thing from now on is she does 45 minutes of jokes and then the last 20 minutes are a life lesson, a hard story, like come to Jesus and there's tears, sure. whatever. That's fine. That's her style. A big takeaway that I had was Great. that you learn from the part of the story you focus on, which you can apply to your own life you can apply to when other people are telling you stories out in the world or telling you jokes. Like, if you apply that filter to what you're hearing and what you're interpreting, 
um, I mean, that can just, really kind of increase your humanity factor. And maybe it's just a different style of comedy stuff. An escalator can never be broken. It can only become stairs. stairs. Yeah. Seven yeah. foot makes an excellent stocking stuffer. I mean, like, yeah, that shit's yeah, genius, yeah. right? <laughs> but there was nothing personal there. It was just, those it's were just jokes. Yeah. There's Penny Young Con It's all construct. You know. Yeah, it's all construct. Um, just <clears throat> jokes. Yeah. Just so, jokes. I mean, she... But she talks about really serious stuff. I mean, my favorite part, aside from the fun of the art history thing, because that was just, uh, again, it's partly why I love Eddie Izzard. Yeah, dude. Taking, Kaleidoscope like, filter on your dick was pretty Really funny in a way to think about. But <laughs> where she's talking about the, the flag bit, like about the gay flag, mm -hmm. that is a great bit. It's like, just, it is too busy. There's yeah. no rest for the eyes. It's, it's just really very bright, weird. loud colors. Where do no the quiet break. gays go? Yeah, where do the quiet, <laughs> right, that's, and, and that As an introvert, to, I that speaks to me. That speaks directly to her relationship with herself and her community. <coughs> yeah. And she goes after the man pretty hard. And the man in this special are other lesbians. Yeah, yeah. She takes that shit down I, I almost the line, throughout the whole I thing. She's the like, is that I don't identify as lesbian, I just identify I'm as tired. tired. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> but I love but even then she goes, um, where the feedback, because lesbians give feedback. Yeah, that was very funny. And that there wasn't enough lesbian content. <laughs> and there's this dramatic pause because she knows tension. Yeah. She, goes, she looks behind her shoulder. I, yeah. <laughs> I was on stage the, the entire time. time. <laughs> yeah. Which is important because why does why does a lesbian need to talk about lesbian things? Why can't a lesbian just talk about being alive? Well, because here's, if she's here's, a lesbian. That's from a lesbian's point of view, whether it's unique to eating box or not. Hannah yeah. is a person for whom lesbianism is not the leading feature of her personality. Mm -hmm. And how dare she? How dare <laughs> you? Be, how love, dare you be a lesbian with a I, voice? But I love, I love her, her comment that that I, I don't really lesbian that often. Yeah, I mean it's like that whole bit where it really she, it's she eats more than she yes, eats. Like, I haven't kind of lesbian in a long time. Yeah. Which is, I think it's obvious that all three of us pretty much for different reasons really appreciated uh, the experience oh and, I, and I and I again I'd recommend it if you haven't watched it and if you haven't watched it I want to I, I just want to challenge anybody listening if you haven't watched it ask your ask yourself the question why you haven't watched it because I think that's important mm -hmm. because whether or not it's a groundbreaking comedy changing thing you know, um, it's only an hour of your life, mm -hmm. and it's on Netflix, so it's easy to get to. Um, there's got to be a reason you're not watching it, and so it could be a political reason. Maybe you don't want to be made uncomfortable. Maybe you just have it in your head that you just don't like queer comedy. Um, this isn't queer comedy. I mean, that's that's that, that, that's one of the things. Yeah. So it's something to think about. But what? Let's. I'm gonna move the conversation over to another level. This is mental health comedy. Yeah. So the question is, I see, is I would this say, sorry, I, just, I would say that it's, it's comedy. I would say it's not. That's it. But I, I have a whole theory on this because it's... But you laughed. I did laugh. It's funny. But this is the thing. Would you say, I, this thing, everybody's on one side of the issue is that this is groundbreaking and a game changer. And what I think is interesting uh, is that the only thing... not the most interesting part of this. Oh, it actually is. <laughs> Culturally, it absolutely is the, the most the interesting The response is To me, maybe not to you. Yeah, but I don't think... Is that, look response, at that, she just changed this comedy. Is, yeah. The thing is... This Who couches is, the debate that we have about culture? Well, we do today. Well, we do today. We do right now, yeah. we are. Yeah. It's just a kitchen question, table. But, but this is the thing I think is very interesting is... And this is why... And that, 
I wrote about this in my, one of my I Believes, I didn't see it as a stand-up special. She didn't write it as a stand-up special. It's only a stand-up special because it's on Netflix and it's called a stand-up special. What it is is a quintessential example of queer storytelling. And if you've been to any, if you go to Outspoken, if you go to, I mean, if you've seen the work of Taylor Mack, I mean, the thing about it is, it's not like what she did was brand new. It's never been done before, right? The, the fact it's is, storytelling. Yeah. Any, any, yeah. any storytelling that you've seen in the queer community follows almost exactly the same sort of track, which is, I'm going to make you laugh, and then I'm going to give you insight on, on, on my story. I'm going to give you insight on what I've had to go through to be right here in front of you. Where the humor came and from. And I mean, every time you go to Outspoken, at least three stories. Now, granted, those are only like 10 minutes long, so Hannah really gets to match. And that's because she's a master craftsman. She knows exactly yes. how to do this. Yes. But in, in 10 minutes, you're going to hear 30 minutes of exactly the same basic premise, which is, here I'm going to be funny, and I'm going to tell you some stuff that's going to make you laugh, but then by the end of it, you're going to understand that that I've been victimized and that, that this has been incredibly hard for me to be who I am. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know, I want you in the audience to know my story, exactly what she said. This is my story, I want to tell it. So in terms of being groundbreaking, the only thing I see it being groundbreaking is, is that, because the queer community has been doing these kinds of stories on small stages in New York and San Francisco sure. and Chicago for fucking decades. Mm -hmm. This isn't new. What's it's, new, it's new to us. is that well, yeah. it's what's new is it's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's labeled a stand-up special, and millions of people get to see it. Yeah, that's what makes it new. That's what breaks ground. It's not that these these stories haven't been being told a billion times. It's that this is the first. Well, I wouldn't say even say it's the first, but it is a very significant moment where a queer story, very specifically queer that follows a, a template that has been used since the 80s is actually in people's living rooms in a way that has never been before. So what else? And, and throughout it, she's that? saying, you know, this is not a queer special. This is not queer comedy. This yes. is either comedy, and then it's not, and it's just her telling a story. So she's, I don't know if she's tr actively trying to disassociate herself from queer comedy, but she's doing it in her jokes and saying like I'm not doing lesbian content or you know whatever the whatever that is what I really like though as it relates to like the storytelling a story as, as it relates to storytelling versus stand-up comedy like which one is it mm. is at the end she says you know I need to tell my story it needs to be heard you need to know it because you know how, how it would have helped me if I had heard a story mm -hmm. like this and I love that idea. I mean, she's she's part of the reason. That's a know, huge takeaway for me it's too. It's a huge takeaway, and it's important because you know there are people out there that may be going through or will one day go through the same kind of shit she had to go through. But if they know that she's, they're not alone in that, that right. is important. So what? Look, uh, humanity is fucked up, and victimhood is going to happen. But what she's given us is a rubric for creating value over victimhood by she learning from this part of the story that yeah. you focus on. Mm -hmm. you, you guys remember the last thing that she talked about? The very last thing that she leaves with us. She goes back to Van Gogh. Yeah. yeah. And she talks about how he had a brother and his brother cared about him so much that 
he he was never alone. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that's I don't know. That, well, that was it was just like that tortured artist. I'm like it really moved. You. Well, I'm I'm definitely invested in the idea of how uh, I want to be able to learn from things that I've gone through that have been very difficult and over which I harbor uh, sometimes um, anger, great resentment. Uh, and if I can yield but not break to these things, um, I will have I will have something greater. I will be that woman she describes that is the strongest person on earth who's built herself up after she's been broken. Mm-hmm. Um, that and that's really the part of her story I'd prefer to focus on. Yeah, and and, and that's I guess that's what I like about your take on this is like the, who gives a shit about whether it has cultural significance. What I think is really interesting is, as you say it, and we're talking about this, because I've been reading these sync pieces for a straight three weeks, and what's very interesting is that the takeaway for this special on a fundamental personal level is exactly what you said. What do you personally get out of it? How does it affect you on a personal level? Which is what, I mean, you know... And she's addressing her audience as individuals with their own minds. Yeah, and it's not to to diminish that it was amazing, but in terms of its cultural importance, um, it's the same method. I mean, basically, her premise is, hear my story because it's important, is exactly the premise of the moth. Yeah. And almost all the storytelling. What we tend to forget, we're in big cities, in New York and in L.A. and in Chicago, is we have some fairly robust personal true storytelling scenes going on. Mm-hmm. The reality is they don't have it in Nebraska. Right. They don't really have it in Texas. They don't really have it in North Dakota. And this now takes that concept and places it in the living rooms of people who are Netflix and chilling in Montana. Mm-hmm. And they get to hear a story that, that humanizes. And it's one of the things that's always fascinating to me. Um, and it's an awful thing is our, our, our need or our tendency or our inherent ability to take anybody that is different from us, from our thing, they're black or they're religious in some way or they're gay, and make them the other Mm -hmm. and ostracize them for that. And I think the way you get past that is to show them the humanity of these people that you've you've, you've cast out. That's the only way this, that's the only reason this really matters in any case. If you've ever watched any of her, I think I've watched a couple of uh, specials of her stand-up before Nanette, and she's funny as hell. I mean, she's sure. very, she's very, she, but that's the thing. It's very interesting having watched Nanette, which was my first experience with Hannah Gadsby. I'd never seen her in it. I'd never heard her. I'd never mm. seen her ever before, and hearing what she had to say in that, and then going back and watching some of her stand-up oh, yeah. from mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. And seeing exactly, I'm telling you, if you really want to have a great experiment and sort of just sort watch of like more taking of this cultural moment and watch how it goes, watch her do the very things that she criticizes herself in this special in Nanette. For watch sure. her do that self-deprecation. Oh, yeah. Watch her do that. And it's funny as hell. She's really funny, very dry. Yeah. You know, and she's fast. She's really fast in interviews. She's super fast and really funny, mm-hmm. but to 
to have that's seen, what defense mechanisms yeah, will give exactly. you. Yeah. They to will see, give you this yeah. wit that's to like seen in if there perhaps shakeable. if there is something that's groundbreaking. And again, I, I think that's a, a way overused, like genius and brilliance. They're overused terms. But if there's something I think is really kind of genius and maybe groundbreaking about it is that she's now is that you do have the ability to see her say this and say, I'm quitting comedy and this is why, and here's the breakdown of why these jokes are humiliating, and this is my this is where I'm coming from, and this and then to go back and watch her do the stand-up she's criticizing in this piece and watch her do it mm -hmm. is a really eye-opening experience and it really underscores in a way that I had not expected exactly what she's saying. It makes you, at least made me genuinely appreciate Well, from a storytelling and comedy yeah. uh, perspective, as a performer yourself who's done work like this, and also knowing performers who are trying to do this work, who are, who you know as friends socially, who yeah. are, you know, tortured, they've got their own depression going on. Um, everybody, yeah, everybody's going through something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it really makes you think like, okay, well, th this, the, here's this performance in front of me right now, but then, you know, where do these people sleep at night? Like, who are they going home yeah. to? Like, the story starts to boggle the mind. The thing that, that I find, the one thing I find annoying about this is this, and it's not specific to Nanette, it's the, um the hyperbole bullshit that happens at almost everything. You know, this broke the internet, that broke the internet, this is groundbreaking. It came out three weeks ago. Let's see how comedy's changed in like a year and see if, you know, Gatsby or Nanette had that that effect yeah. on comedy. Because yeah. if you look at how Those are buzzwords people get to, like, to click on things. That's exactly well, right. Right, but that is fueling the way that we think. It's changing the way that we think that, you know, this it happened and this is going to change everything. But I don't know that stand-up comedy is going to become storytelling because you can't have open mics, you know, uh, com you know com comedy open mics or zanies or any other club yeah, you in the United minutes, States. You're not world. getting a great big story in five minutes. Yeah, and you've got to work out those jokes. Like this was, like we talked about a few minutes ago, completely rehearsed, tight as Fuck, you do not do Netflix special until that material is honed, is honed and sharp and tight as can possibly be. Yeah. So, you know, if you get somebody up there who wants to tell their story, great. And they want to do it with jokes, also great. But you're not going to get a stand-up special because you're not going to be able to work out your jokes in that stand-up comedy way. And you can't really work it out in the storytelling community because... I guess you could, but if you go like from story, you know, from storytelling stage to storytelling stage, the themes are different. You don't just get to go up there and work on that bit about, well, there are some, you know, the lesbian or the gay flag and actually, find the funny there, there. You know, speaking of that, there are some movement. Uh, Scott Whitehair um, is uh, an impresario of storytelling in Chicago, and he's had a thing going on for, I think, like, do not submit. Yeah, do not submit. It's like it's got to be four or five years now. Easy. Where it's you get you get I think it's seven or eight minutes to do anything you want, mm -hmm. you know, and so you've got and there's no you know there's no rules. It's just mm -hmm. you get up and you yeah. can do the same thing. You work it out in front of a little bit of a live audience. Yeah, he just came up with another one. I can't remember. It's just it's called the Meat or the Meat Factory or something. Yeah, it's, it's got this meat. But basically, he, what he's creating is an opportunity for people to do like seventy-five to eighty minutes and to rehearse to kind of just come up and try out basically a one-person show in the storytelling mm -hmm. scene. And so he's creating that platform 
And I think that's an opportunity for people to try to do that. And I think that's really interesting. Um, I don't think it changed comedy. I don't think it, I, I think it really just sort of gave a, a, a much larger platform for an already existing uh, queer storytelling uh, movement that's been going on. I don't think she was particularly brave in terms of doing this because people have been doing this in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And in the 80s, being gay was fucking scary as shit. So, you know, I mean, but, well, but being, I think being she able to get up in front of a live studio audience and hold their attention for over an hour is fucking brave as yeah. hell. And either way, she's she's done what the best storytellers, performers, comedians do, which after you've cultivated this relationship with mm -hmm. the audience, she's observed Dan Savage's campfire rule. Yes. Which is you leave them leave better them than you found yeah, them. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's... Yeah. That's Dan Chavez's campground. That's think, a Boy Scout rule. You leave your campground clean. You yes, it. yes. The but I mean, in terms of a relationship, yeah. yeah, when he's talking about like, you you have a partner for yeah. a long time, you leave them better than oh, you. Right. And, and, and I think the only thing that is, is truly interesting, I mean, significant probably in, in the wake of this is I think everybody's reaction to it is so visceral because we don't, as much as we feel like perhaps we're steeped as a society in gayness, mm -hmm. we aren't, yeah. and for and that's why this is mm -hmm. shocking. That's why this is sort of it affects you so much because as much as we think we're steeped in gayness and how progressive we are as a society, we aren't. And so when we hear a story of someone that initially we watch and we like, because that's really yeah. part of the stand-up, is like yeah. I'm going to tell you jokes and I'm going to, and that's part of the self-deprecation is I'm going to make you like me. And so now once we like you, now you're to tell us this, this shit that went down that really impacted your life for the negative, but you've come out of it as, like you said, value over victimhood. Mm -hmm. um, but, but we're not used to hearing those stories. The gay community hears it constantly because yeah. they've been telling those stories to each other for decades. It's, but it's pretty brilliant it in terms of um, the introduction and the closer to that special. You see she comes into her house. She's yeah. got mm -hmm. a nice house. She sits down her keys, goes and makes a cup of tea and she, you know, at the end of it she's sitting down with her her poodle's on the couch, yeah. just like hanging out. Just, yeah. regular, so just, just, just a regular day. She humanizes herself. Thank goodness, show. the introverts. Yeah, she wants. Yeah, they, she wants. they lead very rich, full yeah. lives. What I, what I hate to see if this thing <laughs> does change comedy is what I really hate to see is every you know Netflix stand-up special or every comedy show everywhere is now a bunch of jokes and then a real serious tear-jerking statement. Yeah, or, I kind of hope that doesn't happen that's either. <laughs> that's what happened to the storytelling community. Yeah. You look at the moth, and that's right. what happened to the storytelling community. And one of the saddest things about, about the Chicago, I can't speak to the New York but the, or the LA, but the Chicago storytelling scene um, started off with people just telling funny anecdotes and doing that kind of stuff. And then as, as there was more room for something a little bit more serious, people started telling more serious stories. They seem to be molding but, together. But, but then all of a sudden the people that were winning in the moth, the people that were winning the audience vote yeah. were winning because they were doing that. Let me tell you some stuff that's going to make you laugh, but it's really going to break your heart at the end because it's so horrifying to be me. All of a sudden, most of the winners of the moth are basically just doing therapy and they're trying so hard to replicate that, yeah. that most of the winners of mm. the moth, it's, it's, it's eradicated any kind of diversity in style, not in, in necessarily 
I mean, there's much more diversity, so it's not just a bunch of white guys right. getting up to tell mm -hmm. stories and winning, but there's not, as, there's not as much diversity in the style and in the approach to telling stories. And so now if you go to any live storytelling event, most of the time you're going to hear a bunch of stories that kind of fit this profile. It's yeah. like, here's this funny start and now well, here's here, this horrifying Well, you know what you mentioned, check it out, you mentioned in your, it's coming up, but in your, the three things, Alison Bechtel, mm -hmm. um, and Fun Home is a great book, but to follow that up is a more uh, cerebral and also just as invested in amazing content book, biographical book called Are You My Mother? Um, and like Alison- the, ch the children's book? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> by P.D. Eastman, great book. Well, that stupid um, bird is asking the dog, are you Oh my gosh, no, don't knock that, that book. I grew up with that book, I love it. Um, but Are You My Mother? Dan she has no idea who her mother is. She, oh my mother. That's another story. I love her to death. Oh, tell it with jokes, um, will you though? I just might. Yeah. Let me write my one woman yeah. show. She's making a recommendation of a well, great book. Uh, Hannah, great Hannah book. does talk about a moment that she has with her mother, which I'm not going to spoil because it's oh, mm -hmm. it's just kind of breaks your thinking for a second in the show. But it made me think of Alison Bechtel because Alison did have to go to therapy because and she had a very capable therapist, but she, Alison was broken because her mother's treatment of her was broken. Allison grew up with brothers. She was the only girl in the family. And uh, her mother started to treat her differently and to not neglect her on purpose, but to discard her in favor of raising the boys because her mother was told boys are better. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you want to take away well, from that. There are all sorts of patriarchy this, things we could go into well, right now, but we're not going to do that. And if you pull the lens, and you kind of, okay, we're looking at Nanette and Gabsby, and we're very focused on that. If you pull it out a little bit and you kind of look at it a little bit more of a microcosm, it is, I think, on some level, where the sea change in society is coming from the, the, the extreme left, which is where the Me Too is going, mm -hmm. is where Black Lives Matter is coming from, is these stories are stories that we've been telling ourselves for fucking ever. Right. And now we're having... We're, yeah, that goes ways, into the heart history yeah, thing. And, yeah, and the so same story being told over and over. Yeah, it's the same story being told over and over. It's just, you're not listening. And, and maybe it's that you're not listening because you don't want to. Maybe it's you're not listening because you didn't know it was available. Whatever it happens to be. Or you're perpetuating things that you've been told. You've been told. We've romanticized our own myth to the point mm -hmm. where yeah, I mean, she breaks Picasso down. down as yeah. like he's almost representative of the patriarchy. Yeah. Maybe Women are just flesh he faces is, he for is your dick the patriarchy, And she breaks him down. Not like teasing him about shit, no, but she, just calling out shit he actually did and said. Yeah, yeah. And he was a fucker. And when the thing you about know? it is, it doesn't. And, and it, what I, what I, and I guess that's the thing. What I, I what I, and I watched it. I guess I watched it three times. And well, why was he a fucker? Go, he I was a fucker out. because his dad was a p fucker. People he, yeah. who he looked up to yeah. were fuckers. But I still who have cares? the thing about it is, I know all this, and I already knew all this stuff about. It. I, yeah, I mean, that's not the like that. stuff was not new to me. It right. was nice to hear it in that lens right. in, in, in a Netflix special, which was fascinating. But it doesn't, it doesn't invalidate my appreciation of Picasso's work. No, 
because I didn't know the fucking guy, and I didn't, and he didn't date my sister, so I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? It's like you, you got to, you know, there. He was a shithead. However, oh, well, I go downtown that's... and I see the Picasso downtown and the sculptures them there every day, and that's a magnificent piece of art. Mm-hmm. And so every sister could be your sister. Women had no value other than to be pure or you know cock garages. Like I mean, she's talking or witches, about witches, yeah, or witches, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a stereotype that no longer holds. But and I would argue probably never was true. Like all stereotypes, that's a stereotype that sounds really good because it's an either or thing, and yeah. we love our things where it's an either or because it's so simple to understand. Right. I I would argue that probably that's never overall been the case you know that 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 my guess is that that the uh, you know the roman husband and the roman wife with all of the 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 the, the patriarchal sort of uh rules and sort of uh, traditions and shitty things my guess is that uh that they've probably had arguments about who cleans the fucking dishes and uh oh, how they raise yeah. their kids and probably it wasn't never resolved with violence some of them and some of them probably weren't you know i would say yeah. that that's the thing is to, to kind of just limit it as here's the patriarchy and here's how women have always been treated i i think well right yeah society that is true but probably on a one-on-one basis it's a stereotype that we like because it's an easy thing to digest. Mm-hmm. But the reality is more complex. It's more nuanced. Of um, Roman wife, form well, of cockroach. Yeah. Fight. You know, it's like I married you because you were a virgin. But guess what? I still have to sit here and go, what? You're not in the mood? Yeah. I'm horny. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll go walk the dog. I mean, I'm sure that uh, <laughs> you know, in, in the caveman days... Oh, God damn it. All right. I'll fine. go walk I'll, the saber-toothed tiger. I'll go walk the saber-toothed tiger. I mean, that's what the Flintstones all about. It's right. like, let's take cavemen and make them just like regular people. Cause... Well, that was that was the whole, you know, Elvis Presley firm, firmly believed that you were either a, a virgin or a whore. Which is... Such... And that was his undoing to a degree. You know, Priscilla was a virgin. Yeah. Then he fucked her. And, well, I don't want that dirty-ass pussy. Yeah. So I'm going to go find me some more virgins. Yeah. And then dirty up those pussies. They have nothing to do with them. But I digress dirty. from Elvis's filthy cock. Beautiful, beautiful was. pompadour, filthy cock. Um, well, the the other thing I was thinking about is like you know like moments in comedy where the gen the genre or the the style changed through like a bit here or there, right? Like you had and dare I bring up Woody Allen when we're talking about you know this and that special, mm. but Woody Allen's uh, Moose bit. Oh yeah. If you don't yeah. know this, I mean, look, look it up. It's fucking hilarious but it's like this like 15 minute yeah diatribe about a, a costume party yeah and it ends up being like this a takedown of anti-semitic yeah um treatment you know like it's it's funny as shit but it's a really long journey well, to all, get there and that's what makes it kind of funny the other thing is i love that whole concept the nanette uh, the nanette the whole art history thing if you were to just take it and limit it down to what it was in terms of its style joke, yeah, it's she's got those zingers well, in the art history but, stuff. But, but what I love about it is, is if you break it down to the simplest model of what it is as an anecdote, it's this asshole asked me this thing, and while I didn't really say it, if I could have thought of this, this is what I would have told this asshole, and then it's this really intelligent. Yeah. Everybody if, does that, isn't well, that exactly. satisfying? Well, that's just great, and that's what the, the Woody Allen thing so, is. I was at this thing, and this is what I would have said if I really thought about it. I think that's a brilliant thing, but really, she gets in that simple premise of this asshole asked me this thing. 
And here's what I said, which we know she didn't say all that stuff. Sure. There's no way. But she manages to take that simple premise and give it 10 minutes yeah. of really an art history lesson yeah. that, that anybody watching is going to go, wow, I had no idea that that was Van Gogh and that was how he did and that he took medicine that made him see yellows. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, all got that, the yeah. it's pretty brilliant. Well, I think that the, the, the big takeaway for me with, with the Woody Allen thing is that this was 1960 something and they weren't doing like long form setups mm -hmm. with, you know, humor sprinkled in and then the payoff. He was one of the first to present it that way and we've seen that a lot. Like Carlin did that, you know, I mean, yeah. a lot of comedians since have done that. Mm -hmm. The other thing um, is Richard Pryor's bit about setting himself on fire while smoking crack. Mm -hmm. It's a genius bit and there's, there's a situation where he fucked up. It's this really embarrassing, public, total fuck up. And he took it and owned it mm -hmm. and made it hilarious for all of us. And I don't know if that was him, you know, exercising whatever demon he had or just, you know, addressing it because fuck it, I have to address me setting myself on fire while smoking crack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I he took find this a way to thing, and I think if he had... Smoking. But the thing is that, yeah, he did that to himself where, you know, Gadsby's thing, she was, it was done to her. Homosexuality was illegal in Tasmania until 1997. This guy beat the fuck out of her because she was a lady faggot, right? Yeah. Two different things. But if, if, uh, um, what's his fuck? Uh, not Carl, the... Woody Allen. Not Woody, actually, Richard Pryor. Pryor, thank you, my God. It's gotta be one of them. You got a lot of balls in the air, dude. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so if Pryor had done the bit about setting himself on fire smoking crack. Hilarious, ha 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 ha, really great man. But then he went, here's why I'm smoking crack. Here's why I'm broken and fucked yeah. up and I, I need the drugs because they help me with my anxiety. Whatever the fuck it is, yeah. that shit would have been just like Nanette, you know, and it would have gotten really real and we probably would have left the theater crying going, that's funny shit, but fuck man, yeah. that dude's got some shit he needs to work through. And I think that was all that was missing. You know, that's it, is she yeah. just put, well, she says it in the special. She's like, in comedy, you hear the beginning and the middle of the story. You don't hear the end. Yeah, there's the... The end is, and that bit about her mother. Yeah. You know, the end for, for Pryor's I set myself on fire while smoking crack is, here's why I was smoking crack. Yeah. It's answering the questions. It's providing context that yeah. we wouldn't otherwise have. All right, I think... Anything else you would like to add about, uh, about Nanette? Well, one, one thing that uh, I find interesting... Um, was uh, at one point she is approached or reached out to by someone who says you owe it to your community to come out as transgender. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm interested in not only the phenomena of gay recruitment because it does happen. And she, mm -hmm. did, you know, she does through the flag and other means, she does d skirt around the idea of gay homophobia mm -hmm. yeah. um, and the closet. Uh, but I, I find it interesting that even within the transgender community, uh, th for those who choose to approach surgery as a method of, like, fully being, um, there are those who uh, are totally comfortable either way. Uh, there was a... a article that I read in a recent paper magazine, which is out of NYC, this guy changed, he, he, in, he was this performer in New York in the 80s, he was this beautiful woman, he changed into a woman, 
and he was absolutely gorgeous, and then he was just done with it and wanted to change back. Mm. And the pushback he got from inside of his own yeah. community, yeah. because even within that structure, there are more tinier boxes mm -hmm. that we can put you in to fit mm -hmm. and, yeah. and then pedestalize you. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, a form of punishment, really. Well, I mean, so, I, think that, yeah. I mean, that's another deep hole episode, long rabbit yeah, hole. Yeah, yeah. But well, the I'm rabbit hole is, that. is that, that ultimately, as much as we, right now, and I think there's a benefit of sort of, you know, like the magical Negro side of things. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if you are American, if you're a Native American, because you, your entire race was basically genocided out yeah. by fucking white people. Make America then great. Then you yeah. must then just by virtue of it's like it's like Jewish people that went through the Holocaust. You must just by virtue of this suffering, mm -hmm. you must be angelic and kind of perfect. Yeah. The fact is, they're all people, and, they're and all, people yeah. all kind of suck on some level. Yeah, I'm not it's not that we all kind of people. suck. It's just the word that we contain multitudes. Yes. we're yeah. not people for whom I'm not someone for whom wife is my leading personality exactly. character. I'm not someone for whom being a writer is my leading personality character, or being a sister is my leading yeah, personality right. character, or having hazel eyes is my leading personality character. It's all of that. That's good, because yeah. you don't That's have like, hazel eyes. She does I have do, hazel. Though. Those are hazel? Those are they hazel. They look blue in this light. I mean, they're beautiful either way. They are. All right. Hey, dude. I I'm sorry. She's a fucking wife. She leads, <laughs> at this moment, she leads with wife, okay? All right, okay. All right. Um, call me later when you want to be something else. <laughs> All right, Simeon cohort. Here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. So my first thing to do this week is a watch. Watch Glow Season 2. Mm -hmm. If you haven't watched Glow Season 1, watch Season 1, then Season 2. It's on Netflix. It's in... It's just, it's fun. It's a great show. Yeah, it is. It, I, I agree. And what, what I really like is season one is really just about, so it's like the origin story. It's like, yeah. here's, here's Glow. Here's sort of like, we're going to do this. And then season two says, oh, now we're going to deal with sort of the sexist and racist, racist stereotypes mm -hmm. that they created in order to fit into this sort of, uh, you know, very, very men-centric uh, yeah. sport. So, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Um, my first is I want you to uh, go on, I want you to watch Cameron Esposito's Rape Jokes. A stand-up, it's, it's a stand-up comic, she's a queer comic, and uh, it is an hour-long special, um, and it is very much in keeping with our topic today, in terms of sort of the, let's do stand-up, but with a very political agenda and very specific to women and uh, queer history. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, my second is a read. Read The Liars Club by Mary Carr. And then tell me how it is. <laughs> because I've started reading it, I stopped reading it, I started it again. Dana let me borrow it, and I just can't get through it yet. It's not a bad book, it's just I it hasn't hooked me yet. It hasn't, it hasn't got you. And I'm about ready to give up on it. It's sort of like the House of the Seven Gables. If you can get through the month it takes to read chapter one, yeah, it's right. not a bad book. Right. Yeah. 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 So give it a read. Let me know. Let me know how it was. All right. My second is uh, Alyssa. Um, and this is a, a go back in time. 2012 Mark Marin's What the Fuck podcast. Mm -hmm. He had stand-up comedian Todd Glass on. And on the episode, Todd Glass comes out as gay. And they talk at length about sort of uh, comedy 
and the pain of, of being, you know, someone you're not and, and that whole concept of how you present yourself and stand up and how that is different from maybe who you really are mm-hmm. and how you cover up your own pain with comedy, which is what Mark Maron's What the Fuck podcast is almost entirely about. Right. So Well, it's almost what comedy is about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, arguably, yes. So. Yeah, so I did Mark Maron's What the Fuck. It's a 2012 episode with Todd Glass. Cool. All right. And then my final thing this week is it's a find. Find me a nanny who can raise my kid. They need to be a POC, SJW, identifies as something Republicans hate. That's... Those are the Amazingly, I knew it. I, 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 I can think of someone, right? I thought, man. I can too. <laughs> and if you're listening, with all the hatred that you have right now, call me. There you go. I'll pay you 60 grand a year. Oh, Jesus, really? Then I'll do really it. really do that. I was say, if you're going to pay 60 grand a year, I'll take care of your kid. I wish I had 60 grand I have, a, I have a cooler with holes in it. <laughs> you, you know, no problem. Um, my final, my third one is a read. I want you to, and I know it's been out since 2006, they've even made it into a, uh, a theater piece, but I want you to read it. It is a graphic novel, um, much much bigger, bigger than that. It's Alison Bechdel's Fun Home, a family tragic comic. Okay. Um, again, keeping in with our theme, it is both funny and really, really heartrending, um, and uh, almost exclusively about being a human being that is, you know, that is, uh, queer in a world that does not accept or understand that. Perfect. And that's the that podcast. is it. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. This has been the Literate Apecast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on literateape.com slash podcasts. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can catch them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. 